come before God with that beautiful music we continue in His Word. And as uh, you recall from the last two weeks, we hear in the book of Romans this promise that Paul says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And so that power of the Gospel we continue to hear now in chapter 3. And I'll begin reading from Romans chapter 3, beginning in the 21st verse. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith that was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sinners. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you ever just cringed? I mean... Maybe it's the end of the day and you think about something you said earlier in the day and you just cringe. Or maybe it hits you, something that you did years before and you go, oh. Or maybe it's something you didn't say, maybe it's something you did. Or maybe it's something you ate. Or maybe it's something you drank or drank too much of. In my household, we'll often say to one another when uh, moments like one of those happen, why did I do that? You've never asked that question, have you? Here's one of mine. I was, uh, on the day I graduated from college, uh, I had a great plan, so I thought. And the plan... Uh, included celebrating with my family and getting to uh, greet a bit with Joy's family as uh, she was there graduating that day too. And then off to my parents' house for more celebration. And more celebration ensued back at the college that night. I went back and it was time to hang out with some friends and enjoy the day of graduation. And it was fun. But, you know... uh, All part of the plan included uh, leaving the next morning at 5 a.m. to hit the road for a 27-hour drive. At some point in that evening, that day of graduation, you know, not much going on, I decided it was probably a good idea to pack up my dorm room. Uh, That was probably sometime in the wee hours of the night. And so when we left at 5 in the morning with the caravan of folks from the college who were going to work at a a camp uh, out in North Dakota, me and a friend in my car and Joy and a friend in hers, 
uh, we left that morning. And uh, as we hit the road for the 27-hour drive, uh, uh, we, we were doing well. The friends we were traveling with, you know, including Joy, advised me, it's, you know, we should stop somewhere. It's been a long day. And I said, no, we can push through. We can do this. I was just confident. I'd done this. Oh, we've got this. Well, it was 5 a.m. the next morning when uh, I was confronted with the reality that I didn't have this. 24 hours in, when I fell asleep at the wheel on the freeway, going uh, at some speed, probably over 55 miles per hour. And it was not just impacting me and my passenger, but also Joy and her passenger in the car watching all this unfold behind us. And literally, it all came crashing down. Now, thanks be to God, spoiler alert, we turned out okay. But uh, my, my hubris of thinking I could do anything came to a crashing moment. Why did I do that? I knew, I, I, would, I was told by my friends, don't do this. And yet I did. Lesson learned, right? But what about all those times uh, that we do that time and time again and the cringes just keep coming? You know, those things that we do over and over again. Why did I do that? Why did I drink that? Why did I eat that? Why did I say that? That question why, it nags at us because it uh, these these battles, they just keep coming up. And, and although, even when it's not the same mistake, it's often the same heart. The same heart making that same belief that, oh, I've got this. <laughs> that question, why, sometimes really goes after us. Mike Giaconelli, who I introduced you to last week, tells the story of when he was at his wit's end, he and his wife, they'd been busy doing the work of the Lord and exhausted by it. Exhausted by their busyness. And so they went to Henry Nowen's uh, daybreak community that he led. A place for people to live in Christian community. Folks of different physical uh, abilities to be sure. A unique community where where. Many had known spiritual transformation to take place. And you were welcome to spend a week with them as they did life together. And Mike went there for a week with his wife, and there was an orientation with Harry and Allen, uh, a well-known pastor and spiritual leader. And already he was disappointed because he was just sure, even at the orientation with Nowen, that, that life would be transformed by this great leader. And yet it was just... You know, this is where this is, and this is where that is, and this is how you get around. <sighs> and then he got asked the question as they were going around the room, why are you here? And so he shared about being at wit's end and being, oh, so busy. And then Robert, a good-looking guy, but who had a, a real strong speech impediment, said to Mike, 
So you're, you're busy and already frustrated and a little condescending. Mike said, yeah, Robert, I'm busy. Robert said, too busy? That condescending tone seemed to come out more. And Mike said, yes, too busy. And then the crushing blow from Robert pierced Mike's heart. Why? Now, that same question comes to us. And I'm not talking about being busy just to uh, survive. The kind of busy that that they were busy, maybe you recognize, like trying to do it all to, to prove that somehow you're worthy. That somehow you've got this. Not the kind of survival to put just ends meat on the table, but the kind of survival we do, the kind of busy that we do to, to somehow prove to God that, that yeah, I'm, I, I deserve your affection. Somehow we like it better when we feel like we've earned it. That we deserve it. I was at a high school play some years ago when I was serving a church in Los Angeles. And I noticed one of the, the bit players in the background of the play looked familiar. And then I recognized that he was actually, at the time, uh, one of Hollywood's biggest teen stars. His name was Haley Joe Osmond at the time. Though, in that high school play, he had a small part. I chatted with some of the uh, youth I knew there and at the high school and said, oh yeah, isn't it cool that they kept the tradition even though he's so famous uh, that freshmen and sophomore aren't allowed to get some of the big roles. He had to earn it. And I thought that was cool. I, 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 he was not too big for his britches. I thought that was neat. But then after reflecting on it a while later, I also thought about, especially in concert with this text, but think of the gifts that they were also missing out on. But we all, we like to show, we like to earn it. Oh, I can do that. I've got this. And when we go there, what we find out is it comes oftentimes, like it did for me, to a big crash. So before we get to God's amazing grace in the text I read for you this morning, let's camp out in the verses preceding it for a moment, verses 10 to 12, where it makes these happy, fun statements that just make us feel warm and fuzzy all over. No one is righteous and no one understands. That's you. And that's me. And to make sure we get the point of the argument that he's been building up towards to this moment, the Apostle Paul uses a, a, and employs a rabbinical preaching technique called shiraz. Not only is he using legal language to show declarations here, he uses this technique where you string together a short number of Old Testament quotations to drive home his point. And so he's quoting from the Old Testament that no one is righteous. No one understands. Paul is showing that the promise 
that he has been building towards that is needed for both the Jew and the Gentile. The promise that was proclaimed in the law and the prophets, the Psalms. Yes, indeed, it's finally come. As we're about to hear it in verses 24 through 26. But don't miss what leads up to it. The nail he's driving. No one is righteous. No one understands. We keep, as Luther will write about this from verses 10 to 12, we keep and continue to be in bondage to our will. Our will is held bondage by the captive sin. And this point, by the way, is not one that goes unargued throughout history. Pelagius in the 4th century, in the 4th century, debated it with St. Augustine. He didn't want to be a heretic or deny sin, but he just had such a hard time understanding verses like these. I mean, how can it be that, that I don't have a say in it? it? His mind just wouldn't allow him to accept it. He, in fact, it's because of how so many of us feel, isn't it? That I want to be in control. And so Pelagius would go on to suggest that maybe after birth we're just neutral until we sin. Of course, everyone sins, so then we need the forgiveness of Christ. But his argument, although nowhere near in line with Scripture, is certainly in line with how we often think about life. Well, if I've got a clean slate, then it's on me. His argument ultimately, though, if you think about it like this, ignores the disease that we are born with in sin. It's like telling an alcoholic, just don't drink. But Augustine won that argument in the life of the church. But that argument would continue even a thousand, almost a thousand years later with Luther and Erasmus. Erasmus had been in favor in many ways of the Reformation Luther was forming until it got to this point. Luther commended him for uh, coming to the heart of the issue. That it's our hearts that are held in bondage to sin and we cannot free ourselves. They weren't the only one that debated it. Arminus and Calvin. In the 19th and 20th century, theologians talk about it too, like Jonathan Edwards. But this bondage that we hear in verses 10 and 11 explains something about the human heart. Explains something about why we never seem to learn. I mean, you remember that good old axiom, right? If we don't learn from history, it's doomed to repeat itself. Well, guess what's happened throughout human history? Continues to repeat itself. Not because uh, our intellect can't grasp it, but because our hearts can't. It's why these words in Romans many call and the most important in Scripture indeed in many ways this central point of Romans is the most important words ever written. I used to use an archery target as an example to help get a hold of this of what it means to fall short of the glory of God. You know in archery especially in Old English 
They used to use the, the term and the phrase sin as a measurement for any measure that fell short of the bullseye. So that distance, whether far or small, was called sin. And while that's helpful to understand that all of us fall short, I realized from reading this text and studying it this week that, that we're also so ever so likely in our human nature to make note of how far my arrow is from the bullseye compared to yours. Right? Oh, I was a lot closer than you. And yet that's exactly not what the passage is teaching us. It's not about that this person needs more grace than the other. All of us fall short of the glory of God. All of our hearts are incapable of doing what God calls us to. But Jonathan Edwards would make some great contributions in talking about this debate as he framed it with mind and motives. And he used an analogy about natural inabilities. Kind of like a lion who had all the physical capacity to eat oats were you to put it before a lion. But they would be unwilling. They'd have none of it because of their nature. And speaking of none of it, the rise of the nuns, not those with habits on, but N-O-N-E-S, continues to be reported just once again at the beginning of this year in January. We got a new report from the Pew study, which just as a side note for a minute, it's just longing for a pun. I mean, uh, the nuns and the Pew study. Anyway, uh, uh, but the nuns are those who have no confessed faith. There's all kinds of reasons people have conjectured over the last 10 or 12 years as we've been tracking this growth. Maybe it's because folks have been hurt by the church. Or maybe it's because they either don't want to receive a gift that they don't earn, they want to be in control, or, and think it's too easy, or think that maybe when God comes knocking, it's just to put another weight on their shoulders. Thinking about this text, Charles Spurgeon tells this famous story of a preacher who went knocking on his parishioner's door after finding out that they had some real need and he was coming to relieve that need with some gifts from the congregation, but kept knocking and no one answered. Finally, that next Sunday, he went to that parishioner who was at church and said, hey, uh, I came to your home to, to bring you some gifts. I heard you were in need. And she said, oh, I, I thought you were a debt collector, so I didn't answer the door. So many times we misunderstand what it means to be a follower of Christ and, and think it's just the law. Or sometimes we don't answer the door because we think, well, I don't need that kind of charity. When in fact we all no one, not one, the Scripture says, 
is righteous. All have fallen short. And so in Revelations 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He stands at the door and knock. And if you come and open that door, He will be and eat with you and be with you. You see, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but instead of being able to justify ourselves, which we can't, we are justified freely, as verse 24 says, by the redemption of Jesus. He is the feet of the one who brings good news. Good news is the gospel. And we can answer that door because He has come to us. Luther puts it like this, I believe I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to Him by the Holy Spirit, except by the Holy Spirit who's called me by the Gospel, enlightened me with His gifts, and sanctified and kept me in the true faith. He comes to us. So hear this message from Romans one more time. This time, in the message paraphrase. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in Him. Out of, sure, out of sheer generosity, He put us in the right standing with Himself. A pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where He always wanted us to be. And it was by means of Jesus Christ. Where He always wanted us to be. And so now in our daily lives, we can open up that door and receive that gift and truly have new life. We can be the feet and bring good news to those in need. So as we come to this text, I ask you this question as a close today. Are you busy? Too busy? God has come to you. God's affection and love for you is not based on your activity for Him. But instead, His activity for you. Are you busy? Too busy? God has come to make it possible for you to be where He's always wanted you to be. Answer the door. Amen.